0: This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical design and manufacturing technology. Register now at MedTechExpo.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MedTalk Podcast, bringing you the latest news and discussion in life sciences. I'm Ian Bolland, Editor of MedTech Innovation News, and on this episode I'm joined by Bernard Ross, CEO of Sky Medical, to discuss keeping up the innovation momentum that has developed since the coronavirus outbreak. Bernard takes us through first hearing about the outbreak, trialling new products in the period, and then finding new uses for existing technology, as well as adapting to a new normal. You could read an article spoken about from Bernard in the bio of this podcast, and hear more from Sky Medical on the HealthTech stage of Day One of MedTech Innovation Expo. First of all, thanks for agreeing to participate in this. Um, you actually um, wrote a piece that uh, featured on our on our website, and I'd just like to uh, follow up by asking you about that article because it was about keeping up the momentum of innovations that have come about since COVID. Yeah. I've actually spoken to many people about how we make things stick, but can I just get your thoughts on how things have changed for Sky Medical from the first lockdown onwards?
1: Yeah, certainly. Um, so one of the first things that happened for us was um, that in February of 20, the first thing – I was at a, a conference over in, um, uh, over in uh, the Middle East in Dubai, and that's at the back end of January. And, that, and that's really when we got first in the something was going on in China. By the time we got back after a second conference of the year, which is in Los Angeles, uh, we found that doctors in real time were being recalled from the conference. This is a stroke conference and told, get back to your hospitals. Um, we need you. And mid-conference, people were leaving uh, not, are not coming back. And um, so it was the end of February when all access for all of our distributors to hospital wards stopped. So the ability to do nurse carry out nurse training of new products, introduce the product to the purchasing committees, to carry on the adoption process, um, stopped immediately. Uh, and then this was followed up, this was globally, and this then followed up with all clinical trials stopping in anything other than COVID. So our two main studies, one was in wound healing, the other one was in uh, orthopedics, stopped completely um, because the wound clinics were closing. Uh, chronic wounds were not getting dealt with. And, we, and later on, things like cancer clinics, heart clinics, everything stopped. So what we first, by March, the first or second week in March, all activities of our growth of our business stopped completely. And any sales that we had would be in, that were not related to critical care uh, stopped. So anything to do with elective care, hip surgery, knee surgery, anything that was in any way elective. And it also, for some reason, kidney transplant was considered elective surgery, which is quite so uh, as an example. Uh, so that was an immediate effect on our business. Uh, Cash flow... Um, ironic cash burn went down cash flow went down with it uh, so we need additional funding from shareholders to support the business because we're a growth business and therefore we're, we're, we're using invested funds to grow the business at this time our revenues grow um we still have a, a, a net cost to investors um so that was a concern but the support we got immediately from shareholders was fantastic and then the government um I never thought I'd hear myself say this. I think the government, uh, and and as a a long-standing Labour voter, it pains me even further to say it, uh, seemed to behave in an astonishingly socialist manner. Uh, Mm -hmm. They said, right, we're going to pay people to stay at home. Amazing. And then by July, they'd organised a funds, called the Future Funds, specifically for supporting growth businesses, where loans were not an option. So they would match equity investors, your existing shareholders, with a convertible loan um, that then supported the business. So that meant that apply for it, and within six weeks, we got it. Uh, and it was absolutely the right thing to do for many rafts of growth businesses in the health tech sector at the right time. Um, i couldn't think of anything that i would have done different or better
0: it's particularly for for that sector as well because you know if there is i mean without trying to um uh, downplay it in any way if there's ever an opportunity to uh, invest in, in health tech. It, it's it's going to be now in the, in the midst of the greatest health crisis seen in a century. Yeah. Um, but um, the uh, the picture that you painted of the uh, the conference in Los Angeles was pretty stark of people being recalled as they're on the floor. You, I've just got this image of people just getting up and walking out and f- basically things like you'd see in a film. Yeah. But um, I'm just going to bring back to the, the article that you wrote if you don't mind, because you, um, you actually said within that I'm talking about the innovation side of it now. Is that medtech should be anything but disruptive in in terms of there's no need to reinvent the wheel, and it's gonna it would take a long time for anyone to get up to speed with a new technology. I'm guessing the term evolution, not revolution, here would be ap- applicable.
1: Uh, that's a really a neat way of putting it. What what I was trying to convey was uh, we talk about disruptive technologies, and that's more from a a consumer marketing perspective, if you look at uh, where you do want disruption is if you've got a stasis in the market and you've got a very comfortable relationship with multiple products, each having um, a market share, and then a new technology comes in and disrupts the existing players in the market. What we mustn't confuse that with is disruption at a application level. If you want a new technology to be adopted, it has to be as undisruptive as possible in a clinic. You want to make sure that your product fits into a care pathway as easily as possible. It can't disrupt the care pathway, or the more it disrupts the care pathway, the slower the adoption's going to be. So it's very important when you bring a new product to the market, you don't just see, here's the clinical need, stop everything you're currently doing, throw it all away, and start again. Actually, what you want to try and do is say, keep the infrastructure you've currently got, look at the existing care pathway with the patient and add this new technology to it, maybe replacing one or two parts, but don't throw out the baby with the bath water. There'll be many things that we're currently doing in a specific care pathway that are absolutely the right thing to do. If you try and change too many things at once, it becomes onerous and you're likely to increase risk to patients. Whereas if you've got a technology that can be introduced easily, you reduce the risk to patients and therefore you increase the likelihood of adoption.
0: It's so the, it's the adage of having a, a focus on one idea basically, rather than trying to solve everything at once.
1: Yeah, that, that that's quite right. At a, at a micro level, um, Now, at a macro level, uh, what's interesting is if you have a technology that can enter into one care pathway, and you look at how it's improved that care pathway, then say, well, if we introduce it to a different care pathway for a different set of patients, will we see that another benefit as well? And this is when it kind of moves into what are the benefits of a platform technology? What are the benefits to? A health system if you've got a technology that ultimately can benefit many different patient groups but you have to start in one patient group initially to, to start off with and then as you get additional clinical data and clinical experience then apply in multiple different multiple care pathways mm-hmm. that has benefits from a credibility point of view for the technology from the increasing knowledge that you get on how you introduce the technology but from an investor's point of view as well, if you are, again, as you used the term used before, not reinventing the wheel, if you've cre- created the fundamentals of the, what is the underlying mechanism of action of this technology, for example, with Gecko, uh, the device increases blood flow. It stimulates a nerve that then branches, gets muscles to squeeze in the lower leg, and that increases venous return, increases blood flow. Well, increasing blood flow, it's pretty common sense. That would be a good thing to do for most people. But that's not enough to make it a viable proposition. You have to then say, well, how is that mechanism of action relevant to each patient group? Increasing blood flow, reducing stasis of blood in the lower leg is great for keeping blood moving. Therefore, it can't clot. It reduces the risk of blood clots after surgery or when a, after a stroke, for example, when a patient is immobile for long periods of time. But if you've got a wound patient, someone with a, a hole in the leg that won't heal because of poor circulation, that has a different use. That means by keeping the blood flow going back to the heart, you reduce the venous pressures so that each squeeze of the heart doesn't hit resistance. So more blood goes out to the capillaries, which means you get increased blood flow to the skin which means wound heal. Same mechanism of action, but in each one of those patient groups, you have to prove that that mechanism of action is a completely different thing for that patient.
0: Yeah, you touched upon Gecko, and um, I will not mind uh, coming on to that if you don't mind, because we've, we've spoken before a couple of times about it, its uses, and uh, I think we spoke about the the human body is meant to stand up, hence the increase of blood flow element. But um, sort of linking the, the two things together of You know, know, making innovation stick, not reinventing the wheel, and the existing device you have. Have you looked at ways of repurposing Gecko and other technologies that you're working on, as as well as identifying ways it can help treat, you know, patients of a new disease in COVID? Because I'm thinking specifically on the clotting side of things, because that's been quite prominent in the media when 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 it comes to COVID itself has had. know clotting effects in, in certain studies and then there's obviously been the, the the hoo-ha around um you know you know there have been certain cases of, of clotting in um you know as a as response to the vaccine side effects but have mm-hmm. you uh, is that something that you in particular have been keeping a close eye on
1: yes that's so when um they started uh developing the nightingale hospitals uh and we, we that was um a, a quite a, a large focus for the nhs and they and they did exactly the same thing in different parts of the world as well um, convert large spaces into critical care hospital environments um, and they we did it in the uk uh, in london manchester uh, and, and different parts throughout the country and um, if you look at the nightigale say in london they realized very quickly that each one of these hospital beds they are putting in would need some form of DVT risk reduction uh, they were reluctant to give people too many drugs because of risk of bleeding, that they were looking for compression pumps. Uh, these intermenumatic compression pumps that are used to squeeze the leg and then reduce the risk of DVT. They had problems acquiring these pumps at scale. And the benefit of our device is it's fully portable. It's a single, it's a small product. This is a this is a gecko device that would be used in hospital to reduce the risk of blood clot. goes on the leg, it's disposable. It doesn't have all the hoses and pumps associated with other devices. We use the body's own internal squeezing mechanism, muscles, squeeze the leg, which meant it was very scalable. So a, a large order was placed immediately by the Nightingale Hospital. As it happens, um, they then discovered very quickly that COVID patients uh, have a very high risk of blood clots. Caused by uh, and caused by um, an inflammation on the inside of the vessel wall. Increasingly, COVID is being discovered to be a not so much a respiratory issue, uh, but a vascular condition, an inflammatory response in the inside the vascular system that then goes on has effect all over the body. And by the time you get to a position where you're getting um, respiratory issues that's quite a late stage in the inflammatory response, the the build-up of the negative processes of COVID or the body's immune response to the virus. It's the body's own response that really causes damage rather than necessarily the virus itself. So yes, we we found quite early on, we were asked to have a look at can we help with blood clots. the Nightingale hospitals didn't really happen. We didn't need them. The, the, the NHS decided to stop doing practically any other form of medical care, rather than looking after COVID patients. Rather than separating COVID patients out into separate buildings, they they closed down wards in hospitals and used those uh, as co- for COVID patients. They closed down wound clinics and used that geography, that that real estate for COVID patients and the nurses and the clinicians for that. Um, So they didn't actually use other hospitals. What did happen is the use of the Gecko device on COVID patients, particularly critically ill COVID patients, then triggered additional interest in the Gecko device. One of the major issues the COVID patients had along with other critically ill patients is kidney failure, acute kidney injury. Uh, Kidneys performing poorly, that then leads to build up of fluid in the body, uh, which then goes to the lungs, leads to pneumonia and issues of that nature. And in, indeed, in, the, in intensive care units, they are aware now, the latest bird in intensive care is acute kidney injury. Someone comes into the hospital after a, a car accident. Uh, they find the kidneys aren't coping very well. Uh, they start getting a buildup of edema, fluid in the body. They give them drugs to try and shift the edema, diuretics. That goes on to attack, attack the kidneys again, and it's a cycle. So because of a randomised controlled trial conducted at the London um, Science Centre in London, Ontario, and now led to adoption of the device for uh, kidney transplants. So they found that when you use a device after kidney transplants, you increase blood flow to the kidneys, which means the kidneys, the newly implanted kidneys, function much quicker. So you don't get the buildup up of swelling after surgery. A full day of intensive care was cost was eliminated, and kidney function improved dramatically. Urine function increased by 30 to 50% in the first five days after the surgery, meaning that the kidney was functioning, the newly implanted kidney was functioning much quicker. This then led people to want to have a look at the use of the Getha device in acute COVID patients, and also in intensive care patients who are not COVID. So studies and evaluations are currently going on in South Wales um, had to, in a, a hospital there, I, I can't remember which hospital, hospital is now, I think it's in, it's in somewhere. it'll come back to me, apologies. Um, and apologies to the clinicians who are doing the work as well, I should remember this. Um, and as in Newport, actually. So um, they are studying that currently and we'll wait to see what the results are, but the feedback initially is very positive, that they do believe they're seeing better responses uh, the patient responding better to other care because of the introduction of the gecko device. So these things tend to link in. the The things that we're doing to help COVID patients, whether it be gecko or, or any other procedure, will be relevant post COVID to other patient groups. The treatment of uh, using CPAP instead of rushing straight to uh, ventilation. That's going to really help us. The fact that we've gone through a massive vaccination program so quickly, um, adopted that, then the ability to um, introduce new therapies more quickly to take out some of the administrative blockages that frequently um, delay the introduction of new technologies could well be very helpful. Um, Some people have said that the reason that the vaccines have been cleared so quickly is at each stage of the regulatory process, the COVID vaccine was prioritised. So if more resources were put into regulatory support, then more products could be uh, evaluated more quickly. We do tend to get very upset when... um, We don't put money into nursing and we put money into the um, administrative functions within healthcare. But I think we've seen, perhaps the first time ever, where more resources in administrative functions of evaluation of technology may well be beneficial to clinical care.
0: There is also the... um, the argument that it shouldn't really have to be a choice. I mean, the, there is the argument that you can do both, but I think you've actually addressed that in your piece in terms of, you know, the, even though the pandemic cost led to a 5.1 billion deficit of the NHS in England in the first four months of the financial year compared with the pre-pandemic budget. And then you actually go on to say that that technologies like this can help bridge some of the efficiency gap. But yep. um, it's 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 interesting that you, you mention uh, regulation there because Every time I talk to somebody about regulation, it's not necessarily, um, you know, the amount of people that they've got implementing the regulation that comes up. It, it tends to be um, the regulation itself. But it, if you, you've actually touched on a resource point there rather than you know, detail.
1: Yeah, so I don't think we'll find that there's been any shortcuts anywhere in bringing um, these new vaccines to market. If anything, there's been a higher degree of caution uh, because of the visibility and immediate visibility of these vaccines. Uh, and so everything's been under a high degree of scrutiny. So these vaccines, in theory, should be should be amongst the safest we, we've ever produced. So with no steps being shortcut, which they haven't, um, it's a resource issue. And if you had this is infinite. You, you, can, you can keep on throwing more and more people into healthcare systems, but you get to a point where each pound or a 1,000 pounds you add in has only an incremental benefit. There has to be, in parallel to providing funding, the ability to put the additional funding to best practice, to improve the way, the efficiency of evaluation, to improve the efficiency of implementation. One thing that we have found is that during the COVID period, um, the book didn't get passed. Every person throughout society felt that it was part of their responsibility to um, reduce the spread of the pandemic. We all were made very aware that if we behave certain ways, it will affect not just ourselves, but everyone else. And I think people working in healthcare systems, again, felt that it was their responsibility and they felt very personally involved in the evaluation of better ways of doing things. Everyone was looking at what can I do and what input can I put forward uh, that is going to make things better. And the connectivity between uh, clinical decision makers and changes in procedures um, was almost immediate. And the the, the sense of empowerment that forward-facing and and, and service-facing clinicians were feeling um, probably has not been experienced uh, other than in perhaps um, field care environments.
0: Well, that that seems to uh, talk to a almost a culture change I mean is that the, is that the same when it comes to um, innovations in itself is that the, this feeling of empowerment is also being adapted when it comes to it, innovations that there's this willingness to take on new technology too.
1: Yeah uh, I think it, it it's someone else's department as a standard default position and, and let's not isolate the NHS here this is in all social healthcare systems the and in fact, uh, insurance based systems as well. Um, that innovation is someone else's department. What we have done, in, and quite rightly so, to protect um, patients, we believe that if we do the same procedure again and again uh, and create a protocol for a procedure, and this is correct, there's nothing wrong with this at all, then by by doing something multiple times, we will get better at it. Uh, If you're gonna have a shoulder operation, you don't go, you you will look for someone who's done that shoulder operations, who does it three, 400 times a year. You won't necessarily wanna go for someone who's only done it 15 times before. Mm -hmm. You want someone who's very experienced at what they're doing. Um, And we build a whole health system on that basis. do Find a good way to do something and do it lots of times and do it exactly the same way again and again and again. We build our systems to reduce the chance of innovation, to protect patients, to get people experienced in doing it. There are some health systems and there's one in particular in one country, and I won't name where it is at this time because it may be surprising. Uh, who've actually decided that innovation is everyone's responsibility and they've been doing this around 15 years. What they've said is, so for example, a surgeon in this particular geography uh, will go for a job, a promotion, and they'll have a look at this record and see how many people have you killed, none, excellent, uh, and what have you done new? What have you brought in to your patient care that is different and improved? So, Doctor says, a few of my colleagues went to a medical conference. We saw this new bit of kit. We thought it might help our patients. We brought it into the hospital. We evaluated it. And it did, indeed, improve patient care, save money, et cetera. So we then adopted it. And it's now standard of care in a hospital. Great. You've helped the health system. You've innovated. Tick. You can now get this new job. When that clinician arrives in that new job, the first thing he's going to do is say, what can I change here? Because if he doesn't, or he or she does not change and adapt their care environment, they're not getting promoted. Hmm. And this works across every aspect of that particular health system.
0: Okay, Um, I'm going to just bring this around almost full circle, if if I may, because we, I would like to know your thoughts on how how innovations that have you know or how the culture of innovation that's come about since COVID can stick. But I think we can touch on the regulation element there because you 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 you've uh, touched on the resources element and but there is also the dynamic that the UK is something at, at a regulatory crossroads soon with you know uh, the UK CA mark coming in relatively soon and but and then there's the medical medical uh, sorry, the medicines and medical devices bill that, that's coming for force. Do you think there is a possible opportunity to rethink the way legislation and regulation around medical devices and innovations work in order to maintain a, a stickiness in innovation? Or is it a case of, was it more of a resources thing?
1: I think they might they there might be two separate things, actually. My understanding of the new legislation that they're bringing in is to um, bring medical devices more in line with the existing regulatory frameworks around pharmaceuticals. Mm. And I think that's uh, an interesting point, That because medical devices are we're looking at medical devices now not just for traditionally being something to do with monitoring diagnostics. Uh, we're looking for active devices now. Technology now is enabling us, enable our devices to do more than just report events but actually get involved in the therapeutic areas and that's quite interesting that devices such as gecko um, are being used to uh, as therapies um, not just reduce the risk of something but actually actively involved by increasing blood flow for example with the gecko device you are going to accelerate the rate of wound healing by delivering oxygen to the wounds growth factors and macrophages etc so, if something is moving away from the traditional environment of a device into a therapy area, then the regulatory framework needs to adapt with it. Now that may well represent, uh, a further opportunity because if the ability to evaluate a device and sit with the framework for therapy, then we are going to be feel more comfortable in, uh, Using devices, or oh, in, in using devices, who have been examined on that basis. Um, so that, that's the area that I think it could be of more value. But again, if we are going to increase the uh, regulatory processes, then we need to make sure that we've got the resources, the people there who are able to do that. Otherwise, things are going to slow down rather than speed up.
0: Okay, so if just to summarise, if you can just summarise what you're saying in terms of how, how do we actually keep the momentum going that has, you know, that has come about because of COVID? Um, I think it's keep the empowerment
1: that the clinicians feel, keep that there. Uh, people who are looking to improve things for patients' care Um the champions of new technologies at a granular level um, need to have the ability to, um, to do so. Uh, you can find pre-COVID a uh, huge amount of granular blockages to uh, adop- adop- adoption of new technologies. Um, an example being uh, a new product has gone through nurse training. It's been, it's on the shelf. Uh, it's it's ready to be used. It therefore needs adding to the drug chart, so the actual chart they, they decide when, when they use something. But another silo within the NHS is saying, well, we're saving money, so we're not reprinting the drug chart. Well, hold on, if we reprint the drug chart, it's going to save 1.2 lives per week. No, no, we're saving money. We're not going to reprint the drug chart. But you're also going to save £6,000 a week by implementing this change in the reduction in cost of care. No, computer says no, because we're not saving money. We're we're not reprinting any new drug charts. We've actually had occasions where someone has broken the rules and collected all all the the drug charts and disposed of them because computer says no, but it's going to save lives and it's going to save money. Someone's theoretically put the job at risk by doing their job. Um, Things of that nature, those kind of um, blockages, if a mechanism can be found, as was during COVID, to say, don't worry about that rule today because uh, that's a bureaucratic issue. Someone takes responsibility for overriding the, the status quo. And it's people who are able to take responsibility, who are empowered to take responsibility for these minor changes to accelerate adoption to improve patient care may be one of the things that we need to address.
0: Bernard thank you very much for your time and uh, I must congratulate you on uh, including a little in line in there I mean that's some achievement I've not had one of those on these shows before so uh, well done for that thank you very much once again.
1: You're very welcome nice to see you thank you very much Ian great pleasure. No problem. Bye.